Hi, Julian. Are you there? I'm right here. Awesome, man. This thing is working today, so we are uh, we're recording, so we can rock and roll. Sure. Okay, so folks, uh, uh, when you're listening to this, thank you for listening. I'm talking to Julian Siegel. Uh, Julian and his wife Lisa uh, own the Riverside Market and Cafe down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. They also recently opened Craft Beer Cartel uh, right across the street from Riverside. And um, so I, I can't wait to hear Julian tell us a little bit about what they're doing. Just as a brief introduction for Julian, uh, he and Lisa have created something that's truly, truly special. And I can say that with uh, utmost sincerity because I've been there. Um, I've been to a lot of places to film for our video series. I've obviously been to a lot of restaurants in my life. And, uh, and Riverside Market and Cafe is without question one of the most memorable experiences and enjoyable experiences I've ever had anywhere. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about why that is and why what they're doing is so special. But, Julian, thanks so much for taking the time today, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, uh, well, first of all, let's talk about Riverside Market, and uh, then we'll get into Craft Beer Cartel. Um, but so, h- how long ago did y'all start Riverside Market, and we why started did you Riverside Market just over six years ago? Okay, six years. Wh- why did y'all do that? Why did we do it? It's really it's a funny story. I bought a horrific building as a as a place to relocate a neighborhood store that we owned, and I wanted to level the neighborhood store and the, the neighboring house to build townhouses. So I bought. I mean, I would like to call it one of the worst buildings in the city. Yeah, I mean, I will. I will attest. It's in a. It's in a tough location. That's the other thing too. Like it's. It's not it's surrounded in the by the restaurants. It's and, completely in yeah. the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, but you didn't buy into intend to, to start a restaurant. You didn't. You had not. Uh, owned or run a restaurant prior to that, no, right? No, I, I mean, I don't want to say I had zero restaurant experience. But I think as a teenager, I may have been a busboy for a few weeks. I remember pouring a pitcher of water on Whitey Ford, retired baseball player, by accident. And I remember just eating in that kitchen when I was supposed to be a busboy. I just remember discovering this pan of lobsters in the walk-in cooler. So i got to tell you, my restaurant experience was limited. So you got so you bought it for a different reason. So then what what yeah, happened? I, I bought the building so I can go ahead and relocate a neighborhood store into this building so I can level the neighborhood store. I didn't want to deprive the potential profit, you know, of, of a of a neighborhood convenience store. You know, so I owned one, which I the sole reason I bought it was to develop the property. Well, after I bought the building, you know, I looked at the lease and I realized that, you know, I'm locked into this thing as a landlord for a long time. So I went ahead and bought the business a year or so later. And I kind of, I don't want to say fell in love, but I enjoyed the retail aspect. And when I bought that store, it was doing $800 a day. And ultimately, I sold the business, at, and it was doing like $3,800 a day. I put great beer, great wine, some organic milk, some good produce in there. I just kind of brightened it up, cleaned it up, changed the light bulbs, you know, polished the floor. Whatever you can do to spruce up an old 7-Eleven building. So in the meantime... I was keeping focus on developing, so I bought this horrific building in hopes of moving that store to the horrific building and then leveling the good store. Well, the real estate market came and went, and I found myself carrying the old store with an excessive high-interest mortgage, like a hard-money loan. So I kept looking at the building. What do I do? I mean, it's going to be like financial ruination. So I started kind of stripping it. You know, I took the steel bars off the doors, 
we took the wood paneling off the inside, and what you know, we found original windows that were covered over with stucco on the outside. And the original windows have these like Valentine beer, just great old stickers from the 50s and the 60s on it, you know. So when I ripped out the drop ceiling, I saw this original Dade County pine tongue and groove ceiling and these wooden beams. You just, just can't get wood like that anymore. So I'm like, you know what? I kind of like this building. So uh, it evolved. We didn't really have a focus. We thought we'd open up like a sub shop and, and maybe do an organic produce drop-off co-op thing. But we like beer, so we threw in like 250 craft beers. And then... Just with neighborhood friends, family, relatives, neighbors, just, you know, the the, the the way, the the reason I feel this place is successful is because we didn't have a legit business plan. Everything was evolution. Everything was organic. Just planting a seed and watching it grow. One summer, my wife and children were on vacation in Montana, and a close friend of mine, Charlie, said, hey, you should bring some couches over here. And I said, couches? I said, okay, let's go to the furniture store. He said, no, no, let's go to your house. I said, what do you mean? Because your family's out of town. Let's bring over your family couches from the living room. So we brought over these couches, and i got to tell you, people were fighting for seats on the couches. So next to the couches, we added a couple of wingback chairs. Well, then, unfortunately, people got possessive with the premier seating arrangement. So it was like a locals only, like if you're surfing, hey, get off my wave. So the people on the couches would stare down newbies walking in the front door, like, what are you doing <laughs> at my bar with my couches, you know? So we kind of grew. We have, we have an awful lot of seating now with couches. Yeah, but you do. And, but the couches are, I think, I mean, that was one of the things that really struck me. They're really an important part of... They really you know, are. I mean, because you have them now. You have these, like, couches and, you know, uh, a couple of wingback chairs. Where they're, a like, lot white now, yeah. Yeah, they're, like, right in the middle of your, you know, right they in the are. middle of the restaurant, like, sort of what you might say is, like, the prime seating. So instead of having, like, six, Listen, five, six, seven, eight, two tops, you have couches. And it's, uh, it's like, a cool place. And people will sit there and they sit on the couch and order food, and you bring them food and they eat it on the couch. Completely. And we set up a lot of communal tables. We have a communal high-top bar. You know, I, I would say not for the quality of food, but one of the most successful restaurateurs would be Fred DeLuca, the founder of Subway. Yeah. And uh, he has a home here in Florida. He actually came by again this weekend. He's been coming by here for years. He loves this place like you have no idea. He approached us to franchise. You know, I just didn't think it would be organic. But, I mean, I value my conversations with him. We're talking about he has the most franchise restaurants in the world. So he still, he was in here this weekend. He's like, listen you got to open a second location. And I said, Fred, I want to open up a brewery. He goes, I understand. You like to have fun. Open up a second location. You'll see. So it's one of those deals, you know. But always, you know, when you have a guy like Fred who's a nondescript regular fella, he really is, just a regular, I don't know, he was in his 60s, kind of fit. He sits on the couch, orders a pizza, and it doesn't matter. He'll share his food with whoever comes in, you know. This guy's worth, well, I don't know, $7 billion, and any random person just starts up conversation. We're, we, you know, we kind of we have this communal-based facility here where if you go in, you walk in alone, you're going to meet someone. You're going to be a friend. Yeah, Boy, you know what? It, it reminds me, it's kind of interesting because, like, it's a, it's a, this is a description I, I bet you all have never even thought of there. Maybe you have, but 
Um, it almost reminds me of like a, in some way, and I guess with the communal aspect of like a ski lodge or something. It's like, because like when I walked into Riverside the first time, I felt like I was at home and everybody there seemed friendly, the staff, everybody else. People will strike up a conversation with you. It's like the same thing like if you come off a ski slope or something. You go in well, and you're kind of you sitting know, around a bunch of people you don't know and then all of a sudden everybody's friends and they're relaxed. You say ski and, slope, but I hear, oh, my God, this place reminds me of Key West. This place reminds me of Vermont. This place reminds me of Asheville. This place reminds me of Colorado. It reminds me of Park City. So you kind of can be anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, I, I, and I think the honor system that we have with the self-service environment, that's a kind of unique factor, too. A lot of people, you know, you have to prepay, pre-order your your drinks. And over here, you can wander and gaze and look at 650 different packaged products, which you just help yourself grab open and hopefully bring the empties up so you can pay for them. So you, okay, so so going back, yeah, I want to I wanna get to the honor system because I, I love that. It was another really unique and important thing, but so you guys, you think one of the important things is you didn't have a business plan, and you just kind of let it organically grow and evolve, and you've kind of just kind of, you've just continued to do that, so that you've, does that mean that you've um you've not had something, like you haven't had blinders on when you're missing opportunities, you, you've just kind of taken time to carefully just, you know, let things happen, and, and it hasn't kind of forced you to stick to some plan that, you know, may or may not be the right way to... to, I mean, I don't think we're forcing ourselves to stick to a plan. You know, I'm a big believer with if it's not broke, don't fix. So, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. One of my uh, food purveyors here, he started talking to one of my chefs and said, hey, why are you using this flour? I can get you a high-gluten flour cheaper. So I overheard this conversation, and I said, listen... I'm not interested in saving $6 in a 50-pound bag of flour. Our pizzas are great. Look on Google. Look on Yelp. Look on Zagat. Zagat says we're top 10 restaurants in Florida. I said, Yelp, we're four and three-quarter star with, I don't know, 300 positive reviews. Our Facebook, God knows. I said, why would you even think about talking to my chef about changing the flour? Where does that come from? He said, well, you know, Travis, who's my new chef, Travis, he's not that comfortable making the pizzas. And I said, no problem. I'll go ahead and spend two hours with Travis, and I'll get Travis comfortable with the pizzas. But by all means, don't poison people's brains with substitutions and flour. I see we throw a stout beer. We don't use a dough mixer. We mix our batches by hand every day, three times a day. And so what we have has been successful. The last thing I'm looking to do is switch flours. Kind of makes yeah, sense, you, right? No, Yeah, exactly, and, and that makes a ton of sense to think that way because you're not – you're not looking at a measurable thing. You're looking at the immeasurable piece, which is this is working and people are happy and they give us great reviews, which to gets to the point that you do get amazing reviews on all the uh, on Yelp and so forth. I mean, every it's it's incredible. So what's why and, and you have tons of them too, like you said, over 300 on Yelp. So why why are you getting like what is it that you guys are doing so well do you think Julia I mean the food's good the service is great like or the boats are great but like what what's this like is there some special secret sauce you guys figured out there or what's what's causing so many people you know, to come I, here and I have think, this like same experience that I that I have which is like you know Luke and I film there and we both say hey man that's like one of the coolest places we've ever been I think that the lack of corporate structure. Mm. The, the, 
is really probably a benefit. Now, I know that doesn't make sense. What do you mean by a lack of corporate structure? What does that mean? We don't go ahead and, and, you know, a lot of places, everything is pre-made, pre-measured, pre-weighed, pre-formatted, and regulated. You know, we really don't subscribe to that. We have standards, and we hope that they're practiced. We hope that our standards are the typical procedures. We, we don't have a, a solid, solid dress code for our employees. You know, we don't mind if they have gauged ears or pierced or tatted or if they're clean cut from the military. We've had both working here, you know. So uh, we don't have that profile of structure that you would have in a corporate chain, I would think. Um, we're totally receptive. You know, we give our kitchen full creative control for whatever specials they want to make daily. Um, our staff, you know, I had a friend of mine, and he says, you know, if you guys ever expand, where are you going to find the runaways to work for you? Just joking around. Like, we have the Lost Boys over here, you know. But uh, we're a magnet, you know. I mean, so like draws like. But there's no profiling our customer base. Our customer base is really what I think sets us apart from other restaurants. You know, from billionaires to skateboarders to students to out-of-work poets. You know, we just, everyone seems to be able to relate to the environment that we've created here. Well, because you don't have any, uh, there's no BS, forgive my, you know what I mean? It's just, it's very real, it's very natural, it's kind of like, the way people actually are when they're in their homes, not when they're out putting on a mask and following a script or whatever. It just seems very, you know, that you walk in and you're kind of just decompressed. Because not only is, not only do you want to be that way, but your staff is that way. I mean, your staff takes great care of customers, don't get me wrong, and they work hard, but they're authentic and real and they have real conversations with you and uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's an amazing thing. I mean, I'll give um, you an example. There's a very successful restaurateur in the city here. His name is Elliot. He owns Coconuts, which is on the water. He owns Red Cow. He owns Foxy Browns. I mean, these really. I mean, I don't want to say upper line, but they're kind of real restaurants. You know, I mean, I can't imagine his rent's got to be probably twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month for the three of them. You know, and he must employ hundreds of people. And he comes in here on a Sunday afternoon, sits on the couch and has a beer and says, this is the best hour of my life. I love to get away from it all. Just come here and relax. Uh, to me, that's that's the highest form of flattery. Yeah, you really, that's exactly the environment you'll have for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, which is, which is a reason, I guess, that people will come from, again, like kind of get into your location. It's not near, from what I saw, oh. We're near, near no major cross street. We're near no major cross street. There's no landmark yeah. at all. As a matter of fact, because we're in a residential neighborhood, the real estate market here has improved because we're the landmark. Oh, you've helped. It. That's well. That's awesome. I mean, but people really do come from all over. For to, sure. To be there. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and you've and you've done it really a lot of. I mean, word of mouth, right? Like, what have you done to? How have you spread the word? Has it been primarily word of mouth, or what have you done to create? Yeah, I mean, I will tell you, the first two, three years, we were kind of off the radar, and then the Miami Herald had a food critic come here, and she wrote a front page in the food section review, and she called it Riverside Market the best place you've never heard of. And that kind of really put us on the map on a yeah. on a real county level, you know, for Dade Broward, Palm Beach County. So 
you know, when you have a real newspaper putting on the front page, you know, a real review, that's going to help. And then all the little newspapers pick it up, you know, the local ones and the magazines and the rags and the, the Internet. So then, you know, the, the the biggest goof going around town was people telling someone else about Riverside Market. Like, oh, I've been going there for years. You just heard about it last week? Shame on you. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of deal. Right, right. They were the early the insiders, early adopters. Um, well, talk, talk, talk about the honor system, Julian, because that was another thing I was really fascinated by. Like, you just go grab a, you've got all these beers, what was it, five or six hundred, and you go grab a bottle and drink it, yeah. and you just let your server I mean, know later? Or? It works more than it doesn't work, if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. There's more people will go ahead and want to do the right thing and pay for their beer than want to go ahead and defraud you. It's very, very rare that you get someone that's going to intentionally drink and then hide the empties throughout the store. It does happen. Yeah, but you know what I like about you guys is that you don't let those, like you don't let the the 2% of people that abuse that uh, take that privilege away from the 98% of people who don't abuse it and who, you know, take the trust you place in them seriously and appreciate it. And so it makes this experience so, again, it's like this, I mean, you guys trust your customers to buy a beer and just, you know, make sure to pay for it or buy five beers and make sure to pay for the five. And the vast majority of the time they do, so the few that don't, don't have the opportunity to ruin it for everybody else, which is, again, it's a non-conventional um, way of doing things where you could say, oh, well, I can I can now calculate that we've, you know, we've lost X percent of dollars because of, or X number of dollars because people stealing our beer. I'm going to stop doing this. But then you take away from the overall experience. Yeah. Kind of hey, like one one of my managers suggested two days ago that we go ahead and get a credit card from everyone as they walk in the building. And I suggested we just can't do that. It's not happening. I, I, you know, I when, we, when we do special release beers, like the Dogfish Head 120 Men of IPA, the Bell's Hop Slam, the Dogfish Raison the Extra. When we do beers that sell for $15, $18, $12, $8, you know, for a 12-ounce pour, yeah, it's really hard to, I don't want to say walk away, but just to not look for empties of that because it's it's a lot of expense. If someone drinks three or four or $15 beers and doesn't pay for them, I mean, that's not good on any level. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it gets kind of scary when we have that, when we put out like the the really super rare upper line beers up on display and people just grab them and if they choose to not pay, I mean, that's a bad deal. There's no winner for that. So yeah, uh, I, I, I kind of bite my tongue and I wait and I watch and, you know, we pray that everyone's doing the right thing and, and most people do. It's a very small percentage of people that are willingly trying to defraud us. Well, and, and just to, so for the listeners, just so you know, like they have like this wall full of um, you know, beer coolers with glass doors and like five or six hundred different types of bottled beer and you go and you just, you're at your table and you go, oh, you know, so I want a beer. So you walk up and you grab one and they have these, you know, bottle openers hanging from the ceiling on a string and you open it and you go sit down and you drink it. And then, you know, at the end of the night when you've had your two beers or your three beers or your eight beers or whatever, you just 
let your server know or when you're you're paying up front, you go up and say, hey, I had eight beers, I need to pay you for them. So it gives you this sense of like, it's a really cool experience to be able to do that because nobody else does that. So like nobody else would would give that kind of trust. And it, it so, which again, it, this kind of gets back to my original point, which is that's why that's why it's such a memorable thing. It's so right. different than anywhere else you would go that it makes this experience so memorable that you want to tell somebody about it. it it's like right. this natural way to create this incredible word of mouth. Like yesterday, there was. Two couples of seniors. So there's four definitely not young people there. And, you know, if you don't know beer and you walk up and you just go ahead and grab something because the label is appealing to you and you don't like the beer, I hate to have the attitude, well, that's not my problem. But they have a beer that they don't enjoy the taste of it, they shouldn't pay for it. And that's just a random thought. But yesterday, these two couples of seniors were leaving and we trust you to bring your empty bottles up front. So once you bring your bottles up front, we assume you brought all of your bottles up front. Well, these people left, and they left on the table this bottle of James Boog from Tasmania. Well, the beer cost me probably $6, $5.5 for the 12-ounce bottle, and we sell it for 8 Yeah. Well, at that point, we had two choices. We could run out flashing this empty bottle, or we just let it go. Well, we let it go because... If it was on purpose, well, they got to win. And if it wasn't on purpose, it was an honest mistake, hopefully they'll walk away realizing that they didn't spend that much money here and they'll come back. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. there's nothing you can do when you lose. When you lose, you lose. You just swallow it, and it is what it is. It's game over. But more people pay, more people. There's a lot of honest mistakes also, you know, especially with the couches with large groups. People just put their empties anywhere, everywhere. They're not getting stuffed into the cushions. People aren't trying to steal. But right. it's very easy to forget when you're given this environment that's so loose. Man, that's uh, it's a wonderful, refreshing uh, uh, experience to hear you with these types of philosophies, Julian. And it really is. I mean, you you guys just do things your own way, and you've you've not operated out of you know a lot of people I think resort to the sort of more conventional wisdom because they fear well. Like you don't you don't have that fear of well maybe I, maybe this is not what I should do because it's not what everybody else does so I better not do it you do what you think is right for the business and what you believe in and 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 uh, there you go which is a a really uh, shows a, a really you know just a lot of self confidence that you and Lisa have in yourselves and what you're trying to do I don't think change would be good here <laughs> you know I just I don't think change would be beneficial. I don't think our losses add enough to institute some crazy radical change that will just alter the experience of coming here. And a lot of people, when you tell them what we do here, we tell them how the business works, that they, they're astounded. Like, you mean I just pay later? And then, you know, our pricing, our markup is not ridiculous. I would say we're probably 30%, 40% cheaper than any similar products, equal or similar. We have to be 30 to 40% cheaper. Like my manager, you know, it's hard to know the costs of everything, and we do have a lot of specialty beers, and, and we do rotate our inventory constantly. So recently, at closing time, my manager said to one of the waitresses, do you want to have a beer as we're closing? She said, sure. So she took this Lindemann Frambois, this Belgian beer, and he assumed that a 40% discount would be fine. We sell the beer for $8. 
So we charged her $5 for it. And the next day I said, I noticed that you guys had some drinks after work. He said, yeah. I said, how much did you sell that Lindemann for? And he says, 5 bucks." I said, do you know what it costs? He said, no. And I said, well, it really costs $4.67. So why are we only selling it for eight? I said because we can. Yeah. So when you're when you're not working on a huge margin, like if you take like the Budweiser market where the beers cost a dollar a beer and people are getting four fifty, sure, you go ahead and give half off discounts all day long. You're still making a hundred percent profit. You know, if we're right. working on a thirty thirty five percent margin, especially on the better stuff, there's no real margin for that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, hey, Julian, talk, let's do this. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, Craft Beer Cartel. You see, you've opened that recently. Well, what yeah, you all that's are doing the there funniest story. Craft Beer Cartel has to be the funniest story on the planet, and I'll tell you why. Craft Beer Car- Cartel is the building I wanted to level to build townhouses. So I went ahead and I sold that business for what I thought was a good amount of money. I sold the business for $300,000, and I gave my tenant a five-year lease with a few five-year options. My tenant did not qualify for a renewal because he bounced some checks and was late in some payments. So I went ahead and I took the building, and I said, you know what? I really think I'm going to do something super cool here. Now, one thing we've always done here at Riverside Market was had buckets out to collect the bottle caps. So part of the honor system, we're not opening up your beer bottles. You are. So we would put buckets, five-gallon buckets, beer pails, anything, randomly, everywhere, and they would fill up with bottle caps. Well, my wife, children, staff, customers, everyone's been drilling me for years, why are you saving these bottle caps? So I would make up stories. And ultimately, schools and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, they would ask for bottle caps for projects. And it was like me giving blood when I had to give up some bottle caps. I never had an intention or goal with what I would do with them. I just knew I wanted to save them for something. Well, when I took possession of my building and I looked up the floor and the shelving, all from the 60s and 70s, 70s it was, I looked up the floor and I said, well, you know, Terrazzo flooring is making a comeback. I'm going to go ahead and see how much it costs to polish it. So I called some companies in to polish the floor. You know what Terrazzo is, like the, the cement with marble chips in it, like South Beachy? No, I so, was going to ask you that. I, don't, I didn't know what that is. So it's, yeah, it's kind of fashionable. It's in a lot of stuff from the 30s and 40s, and it's very popular in South Florida. When they okay. poured your concrete slab, they would put marble chips in it and then glaze it to a shine. So you would have this floor that was 100% durable and attractive. I mean, it's at the Biltmore Hotel. It's everywhere, and it's all really popular in the Art Deco deal. So I had this company come in, and they polished this two-foot-by-four-foot area, and it was so shiny. I just thought to myself, anyone's going to slip and fall and die here, you know? And then the other areas where the shelving was, all the racks from a convenience store, just people mopped around that thing for 30, 40 years. So it was really scarred up and just really discolored. So I said, you know, the terrazzo's not going to work. I did the acid-stained concrete floors at Riverside, and I'm not sure if that's still the hip thing. And I'm not cutting-edge interior designer. I don't know what's hot, what's not. I know I don't care for that porcelain tile that looks like wood. So I just figured, you know what, let me see 
if we could take these bottle caps I've been saving for five years and put them in the floor. So we mixed up a bucket of thin set, we put some bonding down, and we started laying the bottle caps. Well, I called some friends of mine that are finishers, and they told me there's just a water-based epoxy that's UV-stable, and if I epoxy over it, it's not going to yellow. So we started in the bathrooms. It took two and a half weeks to do a three-by-five bathroom. Part of it was when we would mix the cement, it would dry out before we could use it. The other part was we would take the bottle caps and sort them by brewery and by color. So we did this spiral swirl of bottle caps in the bathrooms. At the end of the day, it looks amazing in the bathrooms, but who cares about a bathroom? I've got a 25, 2,700-square-foot building I have to do. So I called a couple of people. I showed them what we did in the bathroom, and I said, hey, I'll give you a couple of grand. You finish the job. One guy said, sure, no problem. Well, Three hours later, he did one and a half square feet. He says, I can't do this for two grand. I'm so sorry. So I said, wow, this isn't going to work out. I guess my employees off work will do it. We'll have a good time. We'll bring over pizza and beer. So we brought it out to social media. Hey, free beer and pizza. Come lay some bottle caps. Now, we started doing it random. It was like a mosaic. And then people started writing their name. And home brewer clubs would do their logo. Then actual breweries would come, the rep from Harpoon, the rep from Cigar City Brewing, the rep from Florida Beer Company. Uh, A big one down here is Funky Buddha. And then my firemen buddies and cops and then the Boy Scout troop came in and then everyone and anyone, these two school teachers did an American flag and there's University of Florida people, there's Florida State people, there's University of Miami people, there's FAU people. So so it's fun. And I'm just bringing over pizza, beer, and I'm buying, you know, 10 bags of mortar every single day (laughs) and it took two and a half three months and then we put the epoxy over it and what we have here is just the most stimulating visually stimulating floor you could ever imagine that's amazing what i love so much about that is your um you know just tinkering around and trying to figure out how to get this done and then eventually you, so now you've invite you you've used social media in this really cool way and you get people that are now feel like they're a part of this building i mean they've they've helped to finish this amazing floor and so they've got this like cool connection to the business and uh, i'm sure there's been tons of Word, again, word of mouth because of this. Besides cool word of mouth, we were written up in the Oregonian. So here's an Oregon newspaper comparing us to some bar in Oregon that has bottle caps on their tabletops, you know, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. Then we went a step further. I wanted to go ahead. I saved some kegs, and I was going to take it to my welder and have him cut out the bottoms for keg lighting. Well, I have a friend of mine, Marlo. He owns a company called Rusted Jalopy, and he specializes in hot rods and cafe racers and he said to me, he goes, when are you going to open up a cool brewery? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, I'm really more of an artist, and I really want to make just some really neat fixtures. So I said, Marlo, I've got, like, some kegs I want to bring over to my welder. We want to cut out the bottom. And he said, no, man, that's like Pinterest, Etsy stuff, Bitsy. I'm like, I don't even, what's, I don't even know what you're talking about, because I'm not a junkie for social media. So he says, let me come over and see what you're talking about. So he went ahead and took some kegs back with him with a plasma torch, and he put cut out little filigrees and stars, and he put four copper bolts, and he put some twine and put copper wire through the twine and with a light fixture. So I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. I said, but I tell you, we're more Florida-based. I mean, I like the snowflakes and the filigrees. 
We really need something Florida. So the problem is when a lot of people do the state of Florida, it kind of looks like a handgun. So I didn't want yeah. to portray that. <laughs> you know. So he does like these uh, suns and, and palm trees in the state of Florida. So that looked kind of cool. The next one, I said, listen, I've got this Lagunitas, some Lagunitas brewing. I have this Lagunitas keg, and it says Lagunitas around it. He takes it, and their logo is this dog. So he draw, he cuts out with the plasma torch the dog, cuts out a whole hop cone, writes Lagunitas Brewing with the plasma torch light fixture. And I said, well, you know what? Lagunitas has this competitor called Sweetwater Brewing in Atlanta, and they're always suing each other. I want them to live in harmony. So I want to have a Lagunitas keg light and a Sweetwater. So he takes the Sweetwater keg, and he does the trout, and he does Sweetwater Brewing, and he does their logo, Don't Float the Mainstream. It doesn't get better. So he goes, you know what? I have another keg, and if you don't like it, you're going to wear it. So I've not been threatened before, so I thought, this is interesting. Let's see if I like it. So he took our logo, the Craft Beer Cartel, with my 1956 Ford pickup truck, and he did it. Established 2014 Craft Beer Cartel. On both of the sides, he did our swing bridge, that historic bridge you have to cross over to get to us. Yeah. And on the other side, he did the Native Brewing logo. And I have to tell you, no one has seen this in their life. I mean, who can think of cutting up kegs with a plasma torch and making light fixtures and hanging them from the ceiling? You know, we did that with bottles over here at Riverside. We made all of our light fixtures in the ceiling bottles for, you know, and it looks awesome. But this thing here, we just went to another level. So at Craft Beer Cartel, it's not just the decor. It's a 1,000 beers priced super competitively. It's a homebrew shop. There is not a homebrew supply store in Fort Lauderdale. You have to drive 40 miles north or 40 miles south. So we're filling a void for the industry. So everyone likes to charge money when they're the only one in town. What we did is we mirrored our pricing on the most competitive Internet-based pricing. Wh- so, why you know, that? Why? Yeah. Because I heard stories when you would walk into, I don't want to name them because there's only two other stores, but if you go there, there's something you can buy online for $10 and they have it in their shop for $25. And you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to overpay. You're brewing beer because you love beer and because you want to have fun. You don't want to go broke doing it. It's a hobby. Why would anyone want to support retail and pay $25 for a $10 item? Well, granted, if you buy the $10 item online, you've got to pay $8 for shipping and wait three days. So instead, there's enough room in my life where we can mirror the cheapest online source for everything that we sell. And that's what we're doing. So we have the most affordable homebrew shop. We have a beer selection that does not mirror Riverside Markets. The stores are 300 feet apart, 400 feet apart from each other. There's enough great beer on the planet we're sure. I would say 100, 200 bottles overlap, but at, uh, at, we, we do more specialty beers and more mainstream beers at the Craft Beer Cartel. I, I don't have time for 12 packs of Bud Light, Stella, Yingling at Riverside Market. The stuff that you know, you're going to drink while you're cutting the grass or going, on, going fishing, we just don't have the space for that because we need to stock beer that's going to be drinking with your meal at the table or walking around with your friends. Right. So at Craft Beer Cartel, we do a level of domestic premium that Riverside doesn't touch at all, like mainstream brands like Corona, Heineken, you know, just the normal stuff. 
people still drink that. We, you know, we can't get confused with craft beer. You know, people don't realize that Budweiser is a successful company. <laughs> you know, a lot of people lose sight. They get consumed with their world of craft. They don't right. realize who started what and why we're all drinking beer now. So, like, sure. Budweiser, Bud Light, there's a, a demand for that. You know, because you don't drink it personally doesn't mean it's not going to sell to someone else. I mean, our first sale was a 12-pack of Bud Light cans and a 12-pack of Stella. Neither item is sold in Riverside Market. It's hysterical. That's funny. So you got so you got you got this place now. So you have two um, you know two businesses, and they're they're basically across the street. They're catty cornered, and both of them are very unique. They're very original. Um, you have a founder of Subway, and they're talking to you about Riverside, saying you know you should franchise, and you don't feel like that's you know it would be a natural or, or organic thing. So what what do you do? Like I know you just opened this, but Long term, do you think these concepts can grow, or are they too? Do they? No, I, well, I feel in my heart that craft beer cartel is duplicable, 100. percent I feel that the success of Riverside is because of its unique location and the unique growth pattern. You know, mm-hmm. there's a a restaurant that's the the landlord contacted me because they're behind in the rent, and the landlord really wants me to open up there. Well, the spot's 35 dollars a square foot to rent, so we're talking about seven thousand dollars a month rent which I'm not used to. Now, it's really, my wife is ready. She's like, Julian, let's rent that spot and open up another Riverside right now. And I said, well, I mean, I thought we were going to open up a brewery. (laughs) So, you know, it's not about focus. It's not about taking chances. It's about what feels right. I think that if we open another Riverside, we will be successful because we're a household name here, you know? Right. Um. Do I think it's franchisable? Do I think it'll work in every community? I don't know if everyone else believes in the honor system. You know, yeah, I don't it's know tough. If... Those things are so. That's a really. That's a, you know, it's funny though, Julian. I gotta tell you, I always thought the couches were so cool, and I remember y'all saying, you know, that you have a lot of like other restaurant people to come in. And they're like, oh, well, you're not maximizing your floor space. You know how many tabletops you could do here, and how many, and all this stuff. And you're like, I don't care. That's not, you know, this place is special, and we do it this way. And it, it's what makes it so special in the first place. Well, the funny thing is, when you mentioned the subway guy or whatever, so I, I went to the subway near my house recently. This is I, I I I don't know. I think I told you all this. There's like there were like two like <clears throat> chairs, like wingback chairs, and a table right smack in the middle of the subway. <laughs> like I, I have to think there's some connection there. Like, and it didn't feel listen, natural. It mean, didn't feel the like same thing. Listen. <laughs> The owner of Subway would come here and eat a Reuben sandwich every day. The next thing you know, I'm watching a commercial on TV. There's a Reuben sandwich on Subway. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he would come here and have a margarita pizza. Six months later, there's a margarita pizza at Subway's menu. I'm not going to say I'm starting trends for the most successful restaurateur on the planet, but I'd like to think that maybe I'm inspiring him. Maybe you are. I mean, I'm sure they, they have to get ideas from somewhere. So I thought it was really funny in the Subway, one, because I knew you all and I knew, I thought, you know what, I, I've, I'm, I've got to think there's a connection. But the but the other thing was, it didn't work there, right? You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't mean to, de- like, I mean, I, look, the very successful guy, an incredibly successful organization, but for me there, that was like, okay, this just seems odd, whereas in, in Riverside, it just seems natural, uh, like I mean, how it kind of should be or whatever. But 
But uh, I've but, I've been like in Costa Rica. There's a McDonald's called the Mick Cafe, and it's really like Italian lighting and seating and everything is kind of crazy. So I mean, I guess in Europe and South and Central America, people have their own concepts and spinoffs of the franchise. But it was really funny. I introduced my new chef to Fred this weekend, and uh, it was a funny story because I, I didn't say who Fred was. I just said Fred, and I said, "Hey, Travis, tell Fred." the worst job you ever had in your life. And he said, oh, my God, it was like 10 years ago, and it was at Subway. <laughs> so Fred's like, what happened? Because it was the day they launched the $5 footlong, and I was alone there, and the line was around the block, and I was alone. I had to make sandwiches, switch gloves, take money, switch gloves, make sandwiches, switch gloves, make take money by myself for three and a half hours. It was the worst day of my life. <laughs> you know? That's really funny. So Fred asked him, you know, what's your favorite thing to make here? What doesn't belong on the menu? What does belong on the menu? And I was laughing my head off, you know? So if Subway comes up with a North Fork sandwich, we'll know that I truly inspired that's them. Where, that's where that came from. Well, <laughs> you know, that's really funny, man. So one thing, too, is you have a... You mentioned uh, your chef, and then I started thinking. The other thing I thought was really... Fascinating is the way you all find your staff, the types of folks you hire, um, the trust you place in them. Talk a little bit about that because I thought that was really unique too. You don't you don't go like you told me once. I don't put a help wanted sign on the door ever. Yeah, I don't want people. Uh, you just kind of let people come to you. I'm not into help wanted signs. I'm not into putting ads on Craigslist. I really, I despise that. You know, I like I don't want to say traceable, but I like human beings to. People should just evolve and revolve and gravitate to where they belong. I'm a big believer in that. There's no such thing as being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, we there's this girl that was sitting at the... We built these benches up front out of pallet wood and dock wood, and there's these two girls. I don't want to describe them, but they were just nice girls. <laughs> and she says, Julian, when are you going to hire me? I work at Dick's Sporting Goods, and I'm miserable. I love making coffee. I love beer. And I said, hey, just keep hanging out. You'll see. I'm opening up this other place soon. And, of course, we've got this monstrous espresso machine and great coffee and great beer. So, of course, she's the girl I look at every morning at the store across the street. She was at Riverside, right place, right time. What more could you ask for, you know? Yeah, yeah. So then she has a friend that she brought in, and it just goes on and on. You know, we're big believers in uh, the natural attrition rate. How, how do you find, like, what happens if somebody says, you know, somebody leaves suddenly or whatever, maybe they had to, you know, they had to move or they got sick or they just decided they didn't want to work there. Well, like, what do you do in those situations? Well, you know, we have, God knows, 28, 34 employees who schedule fly. Everyone knows that there's open communication here. Everyone uses the schedule fly software. I hate to say it. It's, it's our way of communication. You know, my chef came in the other morning and he said, hey, who closed last night? And I said, Why? He goes, everything was perfect. So my wife goes on schedule fly and blasts out to everyone, whoever worked last night, whatever last night's shift was, you guys did an awesome job. Keep up the good work. Every single person that works here has friends. They have a life outside of here. You know, I mean, what, what saddens me is the kids that worked here that were in high school that are now at college they come down and they want to work over Christmas break. They want to work over summer break. We're so used to having them. It saddens me when they go back to further their education. <laughs> you know, 
And that's another thing. If anyone wants to leave here to go ahead and better themselves, by all means, let me like let me write you the best sort of recommendation you ever had. Yeah. 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 And, you, and by the way, thanks for mentioning that about schedule flight. I didn't. I didn't. I certainly uh, didn't. Um, no, but it's it's so in- true. You know. I mean, honestly, I, I got to tell you. I'm more of the notification than the expediter and notifier. It just worked out that way. Yeah. Everyone else that works here really puts everything up. I just kind of get the text messages and read them and ask or tell my wife what I think maybe I would like to say. I'm not going to lie. I I would love to say I'm the Lord God King of Schedulefly, but I never really got into it and embraced the way my staff does. And I don't yeah. think it's an age thing. I just don't think I've gotten around to it. And she's promised she's going to sit down with me and do it. But it's amazing how people put up a shift. Like, I talked to one of my uh, ex-employees here that works at Coconuts. I said, do you guys use Schedulefly? She said, no, we have a Facebook page. I go, really? She goes, yeah, I really miss Schedulefly. I really do. It was great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's it's cool. true. Because you can reserve your days off. And, you know, my wife brought up to me the other day. She goes, oh, my God, there's like six people on one Sunday off. What do we do? Or Valentine's Day, whatever it was. And I said, well, I mean, what do you mean, what do you do? Find out who's single. That's what you do. <laughs> you know? Rearrange the schedule and who's not married or in love this week. That's really funny, man. That's yeah. awesome. Well, um. God, you want to say, listen, quality time, we're not at the restaurant, my wife's home in bed with her MacBook, and she's doing scheduling. That's, that's really funny. Yeah, that's what that's neat that people can do it anywhere for sure. Um, so, you... We're uh, in the Keys, lot. if we're in the Keys, and I'm fishing with the boys, she's doing scheduling. It's a dream. Love my that's wife. Well, Love man. I, I pre- Perfect. Well, I, I really appreciate you mentioning that, man. I'm glad it, we're really, you know, it's always nice to know that it's helping people. Um for sure, man. So thank you. Let me ask you one more thing, and I'll let you go. But talk to me about um, what you really did. I guess you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I mean, you just kind of have a uh, would it be fair to say sort of a motley crew there? Like you don't, like you said, you don't have a dress. I wanted to emphasize that you mentioned it earlier, but tell me about that. Like you don't have a dress code. You don't have like you have we people that like, come from all walks of life, and they don't fit like a. There's, you can't fit them in a box for sure. You just right. How, so what is it you're look, you're just looking for people that 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 do what you know there that that, uh, that make that you feel have a out. personality. You don't have to be a size zero. Size ten's fine. You don't have to be as pure as a driven snow. It's okay if you wore an ankle bracelet once in your life. You know I understand you were driving your friend's car, whatever. <laughs> you know the reality is we're looking for people that are people people. We're looking for people that know how to smile and know what we're doing here. You know, I mean, I hired a girl here that, amazing, physically, amazing, just the most attractive thing you could ever look at. And and she knew nothing about beer. So, and she didn't want to learn. So, I mean, if you don't want to learn and you don't know anything about it, you know, she really needs to be a hostess in some other restaurant, you know. Right. And because it's not this, we're not only beer, we're a people thing. It doesn't matter. We want someone that knows how to smile, how to walk, how to talk, how to interact with people. Because this is not a distant environment. What we have here, it's a family. And and my wife refers to everyone as Riverside family. And that's what we are. So you don't have to be born into the family. Certainly, we do a lot of adopting, you know. But we don't profile. You know, I'll have buddies come in here and say, oh, you know, where are the other girls that worked here? Oh, you mean all the size 200-pounders? Yeah. 
we've got really good waitresses now. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, so it's not that we have a size, weight, look, height, hair color, tattoo, no tattoo, pierce, no pierce. You know, people move, people grow, people do what they have to do. The restaurant's always going to be here, and more yeah. people will come here. More people. It's just it's a different different deal. You know, there's uh, out of nowhere this local brewery opened up called Funky Buddha. Well. They grab staff from everything, from beer distributors to every restaurant, bar, club, everyone, everywhere. Some places, personalities don't work out. So all of a sudden, I noticed we had four employees recently that all worked at Funky Buddha. Well, the owner of Funky Buddha came in. He just I'm looking at my old staff, and I said, Casey, you opened up a year ago. They weren't your staff forever, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And so we work don't out. have a profile. We don't have a profile at all. We just want people that are real. And I hate to use real as an adjective, but that's what we have here. We, we're not into the whole plastic, you know, whatever you are, you're perfect. Come on, here's a shirt. You know? And it, basically, man. we would prefer a Riverside Market shirt or a beer shirt, but, you know, it's all right. There's this kid that works here, Ryan. And I see him all the time, and I can't figure him out. He has two bandanas sticking out of his left pocket. His bandanas match his sock, his socks. He wears funny shoes with funny laces and a different hat every single day. People love him. I couldn't get him. One day, I'm looking at tickets in the kitchen. Every table had a Rodney Dangerfield. He's naming people after celebrities. He's role-playing with customers. You can't train someone to have that personality. Yeah. And it takes all kinds to make a village. So we're just that magnet. You really are, Julian. And it's just you guys you guys clearly are uh you place a lot of trust, you have a lot of faith in what you're doing, you don't you don't have you don't operate out of fear, you don't operate uh in a controlling top down environment and I it's awesome, man. It's so refreshing and I I I just um I could I just, I hope, let me ask you this. So where, so people are going to listen to this and they're going to go, gosh, this is awesome. I want to learn more about, you know, what they're doing. Where where can they find, like, for instance, if somebody, you know, I want to see the, the, um, the floor. Like, are you, do you, do you refer to your website, your Facebook yeah, page? Yeah, I mean, where do people I guess find Instagram, Instagram and Facebook, and then you can see what other people think besides what we think. So okay. our Instagram is Craft Beer Cartel, and our Facebook is Riverside Market. I'm sorry. Our Instagram and Facebook, they're both the same, Craft Beer Cartel or Riverside okay. Market. So awesome. we're really easy to find place. there. Another thing we're doing at Craft Beer Cartel, which no one else is doing, is we're doing a brew school. So we're teaching people how to brew beer at home. Oh, we yeah, did, right, right, right. We also recently, last week, we did a team-building event for a bunch of corporate executives on a national level. And they told us it was the best experience they ever had. So we wheeled our nano brewery outside, a little small 25-gallon setup, three 25-gallon pots. And we did the mash, and we added the hops, and we did the malt extract, and we brought them all that good, good Riverside food. And they told us unequivocally it was the best team-building experience they've ever had. There was 40 people. And in a month and a half, or in a month when the beer's ready, we're going to drop off two cases of beer to their office, and they can drink the beer that they help brew. That's really cool, man. That's really yeah, cool. I mean, you guys are all—you're just doing so many interesting, unconventional, creative, thoughtful, well, fun things down there, man. Well, we so. used to like having a Riverside. We used to really enjoy guest speakers. 
or people from Dogfish Head, people from Sierra Nevada. You know, we would do beer bingo. We still do the beer bingo, but we would do a, a craft beer 101 beer school here, not teaching at a brewery, just teaching people about craft beer and the differences in them and what to look for and how to drink it. Well, I hate to say it, Riverside's too busy to have a platform now. So Craft Beer Cartel is a retail store. We've had Larry Bell from Bell's Brewing in Michigan in there. We've had Kurt Widmer from Widmer Brothers, one of the early pioneers. And, and he spoke for an hour of so many industry and beer enthusiasts and all the reps and salespeople in the world, and we released a few of their new beers. Um, uh, locally, our scene for craft beer is really blowing up. So a new brewer on the block, Jay Wakefield, we had them and their brewers come up here and speak, and we did the release party here in Fort Lauderdale. And, I mean, that's what it's about. You know, my wife likes to hashtag beer famous. <laughs> I'm not crazy about the word famous. I don't like the word successful. You know, I like doing all right. You know, I like to be known. But i got to tell you, I really I, I couldn't pick a happier place to be in life because yeah. I know if I wanted to pick up and go to the Keys, take my son's fishing, if I had to go anywhere, that my businesses are running fine. There's constant communication. There's schedulings in place. Suppliers know who to sell. You know, I think one of the key things is to be replaceable. I know that if, God forbid, something happens to me or if I'm just away on vacation, I don't have to worry about my business. I remember the first time I went away to Park City with my family, I, I couldn't stay on the slopes. I couldn't stay in a coffee shop without calling my store to find out what was happening. Yeah. I don't have those fears anymore. That's awesome. That was two years ago. I, I'm free of those fears. That's fantastic. That's a good place to be, man. Well, listen, you're uh, you're a busy guy, and I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this because I know anybody that listens to this is going to just be blown away and learn a lot. Uh, and so, just thank you for the time, to, and oh, tell Lisa pleasure. thank you as well. You guys are just so awesome. We just uh, really appreciate everything that y'all do for us. So, um, thanks, man. And um, and people, you go go to their go to their Instagram, go to their Facebook, check this place out. Uh, and if you're anywhere, anywhere even close to Fort Lauderdale, go go to Riverside, go to Craft Beer Cartel, because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will have a very memorable uh, and, and enjoyable experience. So, Julian, thank you, man. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Take care.